0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Justin. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of care here at City Light Bennington. I also have the privilege of getting to preach and teach God's word as we continue our time of worship this morning. Uh, I love that hymn. That is one of my favorite hymns as we look at the holiness of God, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And I was talking with uh, my bride, Jayla, the other day. We had a nice slow morning. Um, we got to sleep until nine. And I know the parents with kids right now are judging us hardcore, saying, Joel it while it lasts. And to that, I say we are. So um, anyway, <laughs> but it was a great conversation. We had a uh, coffee. We were reading. And we got on the conversation of uh, just jewelry and gold for some reason. I know how we got there. But we were talking about what – I asked her, why is gold jewelry? Why is gold so valuable? Like, why do we use gold to like literally back our economy? Why has gold been used for civilizations and generations as like the most valuable metal on earth? Like, I wonder why? And she gave some really insightful answers. Number one, she says, well, Justin, it's pretty. <laughs> and to that, I, I can't argue. And uh, so she's saying, okay, it's it's beautiful. Justin, it, it stands above other metals. It just is more beautiful. Um, the second thing she said, Uh, If it's real gold, if it's pure gold, she says it doesn't tarnish or apparently turn your skin green. I don't know if women have had that. I guess beauty is pain. But this idea that if it's pure gold, there's something beautiful about pure 100% gold. It's pure. It's clean. And she said because it's pure, because it's clean, because it is uh, beautiful and it just stands above these other metals, it is rare. It's rare. And this rareness makes it valuable. And it's interesting because I think we're all programmed to know that. Anything that is rare is just automatically associated with valuable. If it's one of a kind, automatically it skyrockets in value for some reason, right? That's just programmed within us as human beings. And it made me think in that moment, you know, I think God is very similar. He can be likened to gold in a lot of ways. There's something about God that I thought in my prayer life, God, God you are the most beautiful being in the world. There has never been anyone with more glory than you. And and at the same time, there is something that is so pure about you. There's, you are clean, you you are the right God. There is nothing wrong about you. And and because this idea, again, like gold, there is this beauty and there's this purity about God that makes him rare. Rarely do we meet anyone like this. And, And the fact is that there is no one like this. And because of that rareness, there is a value that ought to be infinitely, supremely more than anything we give value to in our lives. And that is what we look at the Bible. The Bible has a word for this, rareness. The Bible has a word for the word rare. And the Bible calls it holy. And God is rare. God is holy. He is infinitely valuable. So as we continue on in this sermon series, a church after God's own heart, we need to understand that the church after God's own heart is holy, rare, set apart, And the main passage we're going to be looking at this morning is one verse, very simple verse that I think we can unpack the, the, the beautiful depths of the reality of this verse. We will understand holiness in a way that will leave us walking out of here completely changed for the rest of our lives. And the verse is Isaiah 6, 3. Many of us have probably heard this verse, but it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Like that hymn we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Like this idea that there's one word that the Bible would think is so important to say three times. Like if, let's get a picture. If I, if I go to the gym and I say, hey, I, I just saw this guy and he is huge, huge, huge. Don't worry, I'm not talking about Roy. But what I'm talking about here, like this idea, like if I said that and now I come back and I'm like talking about God, I'm saying he is holy, holy. Holy. Like, do, do we get an idea of, like, how holy God actually is? And that's what my aim this morning is to actually see that God is holy. But it's interesting because the verse finishes after the semicolon, the whole earth is full of his. Now, if you, I would think holiness. Like, holy, 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 earth is full of his holiness. It, it doesn't say that, though. It says the earth is full of his glory right you said it and glory this word means this the value the, the worth the eternal weight the beauty of god and means that there's this kind of there's this absolute direct correlation to god's holiness and his beauty and so what i want to see is that god is holy this morning and i want us to see that his holiness is actually both his beauty but it can also be ours And so this is the goal. God is holy. His holiness is both his beauty and ours. So let's start with a simple definition. Get on the same page. What is the definition of holy? Let's just get a a clean term. Holiness means to be set apart. The, the, the The Hebrew would actually say to cut. Like this idea of taking something and you cut it and set it apart. It is so distinct, so other, it's so rare. One of a kind, unrivaled in all of its ways. That is what it means that God is holy. So holiness set apart to cut, whatever you want to think of it that way. And God's holiness is two different categories, if we would look. There is God's holiness seen in his moral purity and perfection. And again, we'll see then God's holiness is also his beauty. It is his glory. So these two different categories. Let's start with the first one. God's holiness is his moral perfection. And purity. If we look at the book of Leviticus, which if you ever been on a reading plan, this is like the book that's really hard to get through. You kind of read it and it just feels really dry. I'm like, oh my goodness, can I just skip this and go to the next book? But Leviticus, it is so detailed because it is showing that there are over 200 Levitical laws that these Levite priests would use that we would have to obey in order to be pure before a pure God. That if you weren't holy in a, the presence of a holy God, you could literally die. Like, there were Levite priests with bells around their ankles that if they st- stopped hearing those bells, they knew that dude dead, was dead. Like, that's how holy, like, he must have done something unholy. He must have been, some, some inappropriate thought must have entered his mind or he approached God in an inappropriate way. Like, that is how holy God is. Like, let me just say for now, like, I know we're not in the old covenant, but like, picture with me for the sake of example. God's presence is actually here right now. The same God who stood behind the Holy of Holies is actually here in Anchor Point Elementary. Like, so imagine if this were the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant. And for the next 30 minutes, you have 30 minutes that if any one moment in those 30 minutes, you have an, a sinful thought. You lust for someone. You have a thought that's just violent. You have a weird thought that just pops in your mind all of a sudden just in your flesh because we're sinners. And we would see people by the end of this 30 minutes, all of us would be out of our chairs. I'd be dead on the stage. Like it would just be, but that is to show, friends, not to scare us, but to show us the absolute moral purity and perfection. And not to show us that we do not have that by nature. That apart from him, we have no business being in the presence of a pure and holy God apart from him. God is holy, holy, holy. So that's the first category if we look at God's holiness. It's his absolute moral purity and perfection. And we also see the second category, that it is his glory. It is his beauty, his value, his weight. It is what makes him eternally, infinitely worthy. If we look at I just want to read and show us this because it's easier to see it than try to explain it if that makes sense. So if you I'll go back to the verse we have, Isaiah 6:3, but I want to read it in the full passage. This is in the middle of an experience that Isaiah is a prophet. He is a mouthpiece for God to the people of Israel, and he sees this insane vision. They're like, I, I can't even begin to describe, so I'm just going to read it. And if, if I'll invite you, go ahead and close your eyes. Like, try to imagine with me as I read this what is actually taking place here. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. the Lord of hosts. You can go ahead and open your eyes or leave them shut if you want. Either way, this is not me necessarily just teaching. This is me, like, trembling with you. Like, trying to imagine this. Like, I can't even imagine this vision, like, on a cinematic movie screen. Like, that is how, like, other. It feels like it's like a galaxy far, far away type thing. Like, it doesn't feel like even if I saw this on a screen that this would make sense to me. This is insane. Like, if God would flick off the roof of Anchor Point and we saw him from heaven this morning, like, we would be forever changed by seeing that. Like, we would never take holiness for granted again. We would live in such a holy manner and we would always remember holiness after seeing this picture. Like, the picture with me, like, These seraphim, like, if I'm being completely honest, like, terrify me. Like, this idea of these created angelic beings that have six wings, only two of those wings, it says, are meant for flight. The other two are created just to cover their eyes. The other two wings are literally just to cover their feet. Like, this is like God literally created these beings with two sets of wings just so they don't accidentally look at it. Like, that's how holy God is. This scene is... C- crazy And, like, I know these things are massive. Like, they aren't like the little, like, fat babies with, like, angel wings. Like, these things are massive. And the reason I know that is because it says that when they speak, their earthquakes happen. Like, with every syllable, it is like a thunder strike right next to you. Like, that, I know, makes these things massive. Like, they terrify me. And they're not even God. They're just created beings like us. And I know that they're just hovering Above this massive throne, like, you know, the reason I know it's massive because it says that the hem of his robe covers the temple. So if this is like a fraction of the temple, like, imagine all of us are drowning in his robe because that's how big it is. That tells me that this throne, like, picture the foot of the throne, like, as far as you can see that way. And the other foot of the throne lands as far as you can see that way. Like, you can't even see horizon. Like, you can't see blue sky or clouds right now. Like, it is blocked out by this massive throne as as these seraphim hover above it. They they continue to cry out as thunder and earthquakes happen. And what are they crying out? Of all things, what is the eternal song that John says has never stopped? He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And friends, this is just a glimpse. Like, if that takes your breath away, that's okay. Like, we can feel the weight of that. That's not meant to scare us, but that is the reality. Like, I can't get past that. That that is happening as we currently speak right now. This is the reality, and one day each one of us will face this God. And we're gonna see that for our own eyes. Like you, you won't, if you're afraid of me describing this, like imagine when you actually see it. Like, this is the reality. It is just a mere glimpse of God's kindness to say, look how holy I am. Look how absolutely morally perfect and beautiful I am. And we see this all throughout Scripture, God's holiness. We see it through the old covenant. We see it through the new covenant. And specifically, we see it most fully, perhaps, in the person of Jesus. It says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we get this amazing God, this holy God. He says, I know you don't understand me, so I'm going to come to you in a way that will make sense. This holy God, this holy Father, will send his holy Son in the power of his Holy Spirit. This beautiful Trinitarian picture of this holy God showing himself to an unholy And just look at the life of Jesus. Like, you want to see holiness? Look at a man who only modeled mercy. Look at a man who was so driven by compassion. Like, compassion is what woke Jesus up every morning. Like, imagine a a being that is so gracious, always willing to give people what they do not deserve. Imagine the most loving person you could in times by infinity. And you will barely scratch the surface of just how loving Jesus was, always sacrificing, even to the point of sacrificing his own life. And now imagine if if the whole world was full of people like Jesus. Like, would the world not be a more beautiful place? Would we be more patient with each other? Would we be more lovable and likable? Would we be more gracious and, and kind to one another? Like, we would actually model the fruits of the Spirit in a beautiful way, like, We wouldn't need all the things that we think we need to to make the world better. Like, we just need holiness. What a beautiful thing that holiness actually is. We see that so clearly in the person of Jesus. He did it all to show his father's beauty through his father's holiness. Moral perfection and purity. And all the while, exemplifying these things and never once sinning. Never once, never once had an impure thought, never once let his temper get the best of him. Like we couldn't get through 30 minutes without having an impure thought. Jesus lived for 33 years without an impure thought. Like let that settle in. Do you know anyone like Jesus who is as holy as he is? This is what Jesus is showing us, that God is a holy God and yet God commands holy living. Again, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God as unholy people. It is a hard truth that all of us must swallow, that we are not holy. By nature, we are not holy. In fact, we are incapable of being holy. None of us are like God. None of us can be like God. We are all sinners born into a sin-filled world. We lack, Romans says, the glory of God. We We don't have God's beauty because none of us are like him. And yet the good news of the gospel, friends, is that God saw that, God knows that, God understands that, and God is gracious, God is generous, God is loving to the point where he would send his own son, Jesus, in the form of one of us to come into the world, to show us what holy living actually looks like. He he placed himself in the cesspool of human unholiness, the cesspool of human sin, and evil and violence and turmoil and pride and lust and greed and temptation and every other form of evil. He he placed himself intentionally into the cesspool of human unholiness and he walked out without getting a spot on him. Like this is the holiness of God. Like talk about like instead of waterproof this dude's sin proof. It washes right off. It doesn't touch him. It doesn't come near him. And yet he shows he's the type of man, the the God-man that would come and and be with sinners. So much to the point where he was belittled and and called the friend of sinners. And yet he he never sinned. God showed us through Jesus that the holy human being, the one and only, had finally come. Showing us a, a, a better way of life, a true way of life a holy way of life. And in doing so, he showed us that Jesus was our only shot at being reconciled back to a holy God. The good news of the gospel, friends, is not only was he able, but he was willing. That Jesus actually went to the cross. That Jesus actually would be our holy sacrificial substitute. That Jesus would actually, in his holiness, switch places with an unholy people in order to receive all of God's wrath so that we could instead receive all of God's favor. The good news of the gospel is that through Jesus and his holiness, God would no longer be this divine foreigner, but rather a familiar friend. The good news of the gospel, friends, is that God is holy, holy, holy. And it doesn't just stop there, but this holy God says... And I can make you holy, too. And that's maybe the question you've been asking this whole time is, why does holiness matter? Like, we we talk about holiness. Maybe you've heard connotations with holy people and you've been hurt by them in the past. But friends, like, let's clear this up. Why does holiness actually matter to us? How can we, as people who follow and love Jesus, actually be holy? Holy. Not in a weird, like, holier-than-thou way, not in a striving way, but in the biblical way. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.15. It says, but as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, God tells us to be holy, just like him. Like, if you think it's crazy that Jesus never sinned and was holy, like, it gets crazier God now turns around and says, okay, your turn. Hmm. Like, that's cra- That's even crazier. I'm, I'm thinking, how in the world, God? I-, I can't do that. And yet he goes on in 1 Peter to tell us exactly how to do that. He says in verse 17, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's saying, I was a foreigner to you now, and now I'm a friend, and now you're the foreigner to your friends. You will live in a time of exile. I know it'll be short-lived, but it will feel like you're in exile now. But it says, verse 18, it goes on, knowing now, as an exile, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? This means that we have been ransomed. Like, do you know what a ransom is? A ransom is when you pay a great price to rescue someone. That's exactly what God has done through Jesus. And he didn't, he didn't pay with gold or so. he paid with his own blood. The most precious and holy thing that we could ever experience. The precious holy blood of Jesus was paid to ransom us, to rescue us, to pay the great price, to rescue us from what? It says it's from our futile ways. And maybe that doesn't make sense, but futile meaning pointless, like worthless. In ways, the Bible, the translation for ways actually means passions. So like imagine, passions can be good, they can be bad, but passions are basically what gets you out of bed every morning. Like, these are the things. Most of us have passions for selfish things. Most of us have passions for sinful things, and that's exactly what God is saying here. Those pointless passions that get you out of the bed in the morning, I have ransomed you from those. I have rescued you from those. I have freed you from those. You see, Jesus didn't just die so that we could be forgiven. Jesus died so that we could be holy. Jesus died so that we could be free. He came to ransom us. He came to rescue us. And not only that, but he would take those old passions, he'd nail them to the cross, and then he would give us his passions. And and you know what gets God out of bed every morning? Like, not that he sleeps, but (laughs) figuratively speaking. Like, do you know what drives God in everything that he does? It is a passion for his glory. It is a passion to be seen as supremely beautiful through his holiness and through a holy people. Yes. And if that would drive us friends, it would change everything. Yes. Would this world not be a more, more beautiful place? Would this would our families, would our relationships, would our friendships not be more beautiful and holy? Again, not because it's this religious duty and all these obligations that we have to do because we're churchgoers and a holier than thou way, then look, I'm more holy than you, you're more holy than me. Like, scrap that. It's not about you, it's not about us, it's about Him. It's all driven because we've been born again, miraculously ransomed, and miraculously transformed. Like, Christian, you need to understand your identity this morning. Like, this is not something that, like, you work your way to and then you become, like, Jesus, through his atoning blood on the cross, has declared you holy. Like, you can walk out of this room not doing a single thing, I say, and yet God will still see you as holy if you have been cleansed in the holy blood of his son. But how much more, how much sweeter, how much fuller, how much richer would life be if we would actually walk in what we actually are? Right. And, I, and I have to be honest, like, friends, holiness is hard. Like, holiness is really hard. It, it, it's like this elusive thing that it seems like the more you pursue it, the less you have, like, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I want us to understand that if you struggle with holiness... Like, this is not to shame you. Like, don't hear the word holy and think shame and I'm not good enough. Like, hear the word holy and hear the word freedom. Mm. Hear the word that you literally are no longer bound. You are cut from that. Come on. You are set apart now for God. You are no longer bound to it. Mm. Think of holiness as freedom. Yes. Think of holiness as a joy. And if when it's hard, remember that you are already Holy. And God says, now that you are holy, be holy. Now that you are free, live free. And if it's perfectly normal, friends, it is perfectly normal. If you are a Christian and you are struggling in holiness, there's a word for that. It's called sanctification. (laughs) It's this lifelong, ongoing process where we continually step into our holiness as holy people. It is continually stepping into living a more holy life as a holy person washed in the blood of Jesus. And friends, it is difficult. My goodness, it is difficult, and yet it is possible. It is so possible. Friends, like, think of sanctification. Like, you've been sitting in a jail cell. Imagine this. Like, before Jesus, you were in a jail cell. You were bound in shackles, ankles, and and wrists. And, And Jesus comes into your life. He gives you the key, opens it, and he says, you're free. You can walk out. You're no longer bound in here. And you walk out, and you still have all your shackles on. like Because it's, you've lived so long with them, it's all you know. And you keep going through life, and you just, like, you're weighed down by these shackles on your wrists and ankles. And, and here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Like, is it any surprise to us that the key to holiness is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> it is he who sees us in those moments. Or maybe your chains that you're still bound in is bitterness. You're still bound to, like, hurt that you've experienced in the past. And you just carry a chip on your shoulder, always angry, always bitter, always a little embarrassed. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, not for my holy people. You're free. You are holy, and you can walk in holiness. You don't have to be bound to those. And the Holy Spirit partners with you. And empowers you and reminds you of the sweet truths of Jesus' words. And he says, let's get those things off you. Like That's the beauty of sanctification. It is being continually set free. More cut apart, set apart, given to God and God alone. Friends, if I can be honest though. If we were to be honest with ourselves and do a litmus test of how we're doing in our holiness. Like... I think we'd see that a lot of us are still wearing a lot of chains. I think we're, we're out of the jail cell, but we, we're walking around with shackles. And again, this is not to shame you, but like, let's, let's go through this litmus test to see how we're doing. What, what chains can we be freed from this morning, in Jesus' name? Do we struggle with grudges? Are, are any of us holding grudges against someone right now? Maybe not in this room, maybe, maybe so. Are you participating in corrupt speech? Like, are you letting your mouth flow a little more freely, you say these days? Uh, giving in to dirty jokes, listening to more profane things on TV. Uh, maybe you're, you're beginning to uh, let more and more profanity just, as you say, slip out of your mouth. <laughs> like, God wants to free you from that. Like, that doesn't do anyone, anyone any good, including yourself. God says that literally is worthless. It's, it's a pointless passion that I have freed you from. Like, don't go back to that. Like, or we find ourselves lying these days, telling little white lies we say, and, and we just say, well, I'm just stretching the truth. God, God, God doesn't. Like, God's not interested in stretching the truth. God is interested in the truth. He is the truth, he says. I'm not interested in anything else. Like, would God free us, friends? Oh, my goodness. Would he free us from gossiping? Would he free us from Grumbling? Would he free us from slandering one another? Like we are literally the bride of Christ and we, we take most of our time slandering and grumbling about one another. And yet we just call it venting, right? It's just venting. Like the Bible doesn't use that language. The Bible says you're either gossiping, slandering or grumbling. Like don't, don't put a new word to what God has already said. And, and would God free us from that? Like are you bound to that? Is that your best part of your day when you get to vent? Like, are are we the people that are participating in gluttony? Slowly but surely, we've started out with a fine snacking, but snacking has now turned into running to food for emotional voids that only Jesus can satisfy. Like, are are we finding ourselves drifting from what used to be just freedom in Christ, a, a glass of wine a night, right? Like, nothing wrong with drinking, but it's become to the point where now one glass has turned to two, and two to three, and three to four, and before you know it, the bottle's gone. And what turned into drinking has now turned into drunkenness. And again, it's just because you need to escape a long day. You need to get out of this hard season. Would God free us from that? My goodness. Get those shackles off of you. There's no freedom in that. Or is it, again, pushing the envelope? Like, again, this is litmus stuff. Like, check yourself. These are This is a list because, if I'm being honest, like these are all things that we all struggle with and are all tempted with. Are we pushing the envelope and watching more and more maybe sexually graphic movies and TV and we just continue to like, well, this is okay. I'll keep moving over here. I'll keep moving over here. Uh, maybe it's not on movies or TV shows. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's YouTube. Maybe it's TikTok. Well, whatever your media is, you, you find yourself in compromise and you find yourself in unholiness, when you are holy and God has freed you? Do you find yourself working harder at your job and coming home a little bit later and later only to the neglect of your family? Do you find yourself just always discontent, always coveting something that someone else has, always shopping around and looking for something you don't actually need? Friends, the reason I say all these things, not to shame, but to check ourselves, to see what shackles are Am I still wearing unnecessarily. God is saying to you this morning, you are free. Yes. Now live free. Because yes. friends, if I'm being honest, there's nothing holy about these things. There's nothing rare about these. There's nothing set apart. There's nothing different than anything anyone else does. Everything I just said is how everyone else on the planet lives. There's nothing rare about that. God's beauty is not seen in those things. God doesn't look set apart when his people live just like that. And so would God free us, friends, in the name of Jesus? God, would you free us from the things that we find as holy in the world and in culture, but are not holy in your eyes? Like, I I picture this scene. I was thinking about this. Like, in Revelation, it says that the heaven is, the streets are like gold. The streets are gold. Which, again, is so interesting to me. Like, God, he's flexing hardcore in this one. He's literally saying, you know the thing that ran civilizations for generations? The thing that you thought was so valuable? (laughs) I'm going to take that, I'm going to melt it down and pour it, and I'm going to make it my sidewalks. (laughs) Like, what a flex. Like, he is saying, there is no one like me. He will say, literally, you will be walking on it so regularly that you won't even care about it. Because your eyes are going to be so fixed on me. He's saying to us this morning that your feet will trample the things that your heart once treasured. Because anything that you thought was holier than me, let me go ahead and curb stomp that. Make it my sidewalk and you get your eyes back where they should be. That's the way to life. That's the way to freedom. I am the greatest one. I am the holy one. I am the most beautiful one. The only one who can set you free. So if we want to be a church, friends, a CLB, a church after God's own heart, and we want to be holy, again, shouldn't surprise us that we go to the one who has the market on holiness, the Holy Spirit. Like, my goodness, like, he is not just some, like, third person who just kind of sits here on earth with us. like He is the one who actually helps us to become holy. He is the helper for a reason. He is the one who reminds us that in moments when, when I'm tempted to, to argue with my bride and say something that I, I know won't help, I, I'm, I'm tempted to react in an angry way that is not holy. I, I, I wanna believe the worst in someone in that moment, and I not choose to believe the best and give grace. When, when I'm the person who I want a moment of control where I feel like I have my whole life planned out, my finances in order, my house, my car, my wife, my family, like on and on down the list, like I have this scroll of things I want to control. And it is the Holy Spirit in that moment says, Justin, those are not holy thoughts. That, that is not the way that I have to- called you to live worrying about these things, living in anger, living in anything apart from the way that I am, like who I am, I am holy, live as I, I do. And it is those moments where I feel like, oh God, I could I could really say something here that would hurt. I could really do something that would be unwise. And the Spirit, he just takes us in that moment and says, pause, Justin, listen to me. You're free from that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to say that. You don't have to go through with that. You don't have to commit to that. You don't have to be bound to that any longer, Justin. You you are free. And it's in those holy moments where the Holy Spirit Spirit ministers to you and says, you have power. You, You see that there's no sin that can come from underneath the blood of Jesus. Holiness set you free. And the beautiful thing about God's grace is that it's enough. Like, it's actually enough to live a holy life because the beautiful thing about God's grace is twofold. It's grace that pardons sin, but it's grace that empowers us over sin. It's the grace that pardons unholiness, and it's the grace that empowers holiness. And so, friends, if we want to be a church marked by a deeper zeal and a passion for holiness, we're going to have to be deeper in our intimacy with God. We're going to have to be so much closer to the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to ask time and time again, moment by moment sometimes, in our worst moments, Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh? I want to be holy, and you're the only one who can help me. Again, it's not trying harder. It's not being better. It's not doing it in a holier-than-thou way. It is modeled by Jesus himself, and we ought to follow Holiness is pursued and experienced in humility. It experienced in love. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit, always looking to the Holy Father, saying, God, I, I want to show your beauty in this moment because I, I've seen that beauty. And there would be nothing that makes me happier than becoming more like the one I love most. Like, that is what it means to be holy. And so, friends, if, if you're someone in this room, and again, you would hear the word holy, and there's shame connotated that. There's hurt maybe associated with that. And, and you don't have an ongoing interactive relationship with Jesus, and everything I've said feels a little foreign. And, and maybe you, you feel like, I could never be holy enough, Justin. Like, I don't know what you want me to do, and to that I say, amen. Join the club. That's where every single one of us who was born again had to come into the entry point and say, I am unholy, God. Like I'm coming before you, before your mighty throne, looking at your holiness and saying, I I could never match up, I could never line up to that. And yet, in that exact humility is when God would love to bestow forgiveness, righteousness, and holiness. Like, that is the qualifier to be holy, is to be unholy. That's the beauty of God's grace. And so, friends, I invite you, if you are someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to stop trying and to come to Jesus, to place your faith in him and say, Jesus, only you can make me clean. Only you can make me beautiful. And I'm desperate for you. Will you run my life and make me holy and help me pursue holy living? And so, friends, if you are a Christian, I want to commission you. I want us to float out of this room, not weighed down by holiness, but set free by holiness. I want to remind us by saying, yes, we are all called to be holy, but now, friends, you are free to be holy. You can walk out in confidence, again, knowing that you have been declared holy, and now the Holy Spirit says you are empowered to be holy. That you can do this, we can do this, and we can do it together as a church. You don't have to be alone in holiness, it is a team, it is a family of people who are all once unholy and taking steps into holiness. To walk out rejoicing, knowing that God's holiness is our salvation, it's our only salvation, it is our greatest beauty, because we have seen that beauty in the face of Jesus, the Holy One, who has shown us the very holiness of God himself. Would you pray with me? Father, it is amazing to think of your holiness It is amazing to think that one day we will see you face to face. It is amazing to think that the holy God who once stayed behind the thick curtain of the holy of holies is now the God who lives in every one of us who is born again, who goes with us, who leads us like Abraham and Moses, the God who intercedes for us, the God who prays for us and helps us, God who empowers us by his grace and his love and mercy. God, we're asking that you would make this church a holy church. We're asking, Father, that your beauty would be seen in every family, in every neighborhood, in every workplace, because your people are free to be holy. We would see holiness as beautiful and lovely and wonderful, and that the It is truly the only way to true life. And we thank you, God, that you are holy and you have made us holy. Would we walk in freedom of that holiness now and forevermore, in Jesus' name.